come to the part of the service where we're going to share a word. And with us this, tonight is Garth. And Garth, if you could come up. Uh, it's great to have Garth back. We've <laughs> given him off for preaching for a couple of months so that he could become a father. Of twice. <laughs> he has twins, so we are happy that he's back here with us to, to share a word, and I'm going to pray for him and hand over. Lord, thank you for God. Thank you for the incredible life that he lives, a true disciple of you, Jesus, and we open our hearts to hear you through him as he preaches your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good evening, everybody. Such a privilege to be with you guys again. It's been a long while. Um, yeah, I've had uh, family responsibilities and just try to limit other responsibilities and that, but I think it's maybe not a bad thing that you get me in small doses. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <laughs> nervous laughter. Um, I don't know why, but the Lord often uh, lays heavy things, not heavy, but hard uh, scriptures and things on my heart, and I, I trust that I'm able to share the truth in love with you guys. Um, so I just encourage you, uh, if you need to put a seatbelt on, put it on. But um, if anything else, just open your heart to the Lord and trust that he can, he can do what he wants to do in your life. Um, the word of God is supposed to shape our lives. We're not supposed to shape the word of God according to our lives. Uh, we're not supposed to panel beat it and, and explain it away. We're just supposed to follow it and to do what he requires us to do. So I just encourage you that, um, you know, I really trust that you can receive this in love. Um, so the, the disciples' quest... That is what we, the quest that we've, I think we've all been on this quest for a while. We didn't just start it when the theme became the disciples' quest. We've been on this quest for a while. And as I was preparing for this time together with you guys, I felt that the Lord deemed it very important that we actually have the end in mind. That kind of, that's what qualifies this as a quest. Uh, an adventure is where you don't know what's going to happen in the end and you just kind of go with it and you see what's going to happen. This is not the disciples' adventure. Um, and we just kind of end up in a place of, oh, wow, it, uh, that's how it played out, you know, and have these quirky stories and that. A quest is actually something where we know what awaits us at the end of the quest. And I just felt that the Lord wanted to highlight that tonight. And in his way of doing many things at the same time, uh, it feels like he, he's, he's kind of touching on the, the start and the end at the same time with the scripture that he's laid on my heart. There's a few scriptures that I would like to work through tonight, but I, I will read this and then we will pray. And with fear and trembling, we will enter into this, <laughs> this evening together. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through to 35. If you don't mind turning there, uh, whether it's phones or or the good old hard copy. Um, I just brought my pistol tonight. I didn't bring the, the, big, the big guns. Um, but yeah, if you guys can turn to Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 35. So it's an interesting portion of Scripture because Jesus has, in the, the chronology of Luke, he's been at a Pharisee's house and he's been you know, speaking to a whole bunch of people there. They've been asking him questions. They've been making comments, and he's been commenting on their comments. And then this portion of Scripture, it's like he was at this Pharisee's house, and then the next thing, he is among these large crowds traveling. And so that's pretty much the context. It just goes straight into this moment where Jesus is with a large crowd traveling, and this is what he says to them, you know. So large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father or mother, wife or children, brothers or sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. <laughs> and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. 
Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one who is coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Father, tonight I stand in front of your, this part of your body, this beautiful bride with fear and trembling. And I ask, Father God, that you would illuminate your truth in our hearts through your word. It says that your, the scriptures say that your word is truth and even hearing Jesus' voice, that that is hearing the truth. And I just pray tonight, Father, that you would lead us into the truth tonight. I pray, Father, that you would convict us in our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would draw us near. I pray that you would be able to present us faultless before the presence of your glory with exceeding joy. I pray tonight that you would help me to share what it is that you've laid on my heart and ultimately what it is that you want to say to, to this part of your body tonight, Lord. And just pray this in the name of Jesus, and we pray, Lord, that um, we just open up our hearts as well to receive your word. And, yeah, we, we really want your word to take root in our hearts. We really want your, your word to transform us and shape us. The same word that, that brought creation forth. We want to see your image restored inside of us, Lord. And we just pray tonight as we explore the beginning and the end, as we explore this disciple's quest, we pray that you, would, that you would lead us into this and lead us into all truth, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So a heavy scripture. The thing that the Lord actually laid on my heart was the building of the tower. And when I read through this portion of the scripture in the context, it's like the Lord just chucked everything into one, one chapter. I was like, Yo, you really have something heavy to say tonight, Lord. But essentially, what is discipleship? I've pondered on this. I've been thinking about it. It's been a word that's been coming up a lot lately. The whole church is being restructured around, you know, the, the fact that we need to make disciples that can make disciples. And disciples of all nations, all peoples, tongues, every ethnicity, every culture, every background that human beings come from, the Lord wants them represented before his throne. And he is passionately devoted to seeing us become like him again to see his image restored inside of us again. And for any of you who know me, if I was limited to preach one message for the rest of my life, it would be that God's ultimate destiny for mankind is to see his image restored inside of us. When you read the scriptures from cover to cover, that is the theme that is woven throughout, is that we were made in his image, yet we fell from that image. And eventually, in the fullness of time, he sends his son Jesus to do two things primarily, is to firstly show us who he is, to give us an accurate representation of the very essence of God as Hebrews speaks about Jesus, says he's the very essence of the Father's being. He comes and he shows us an accurate image of God. And on the flip side, he comes and he shows us exactly who we are to be. As a human being, he comes and he shows us this is the very image that you are supposed to become. And so essentially, when I look at this, this, this idea of discipleship, it's not just an apprentice for, you know, becoming a plumber or an electrician or anything like that. This is an apprentice of Jesus. This is someone who is being discipled by Jesus. What does it mean? And essentially, I can only come to this conclusion, is that it's for me to become like him so that I can do what he does. It's firstly to be like him. And as I am becoming like him, eventually I will start to do the things that he does. That will be a natural outflow of my life. There was a scripture that was shared this, this evening in the pre-service prayer by John chapter 15. And it's such a beautiful scripture because it speaks about the intimacy that God is inviting us into. Such a deep intimacy. We, we, we often just taste the surface of it. But it is, he's talking about this vine. And that we are part of the vine and that we are, we are growing out of this vine, but that we can only be sustained if we are connected to the true vine. And there's this concept of abiding, 
which essentially comes from the word abode. And abode means home. You know, we've all heard people say, welcome to my humble abode. And essentially, God is saying, come and home with me. <laughs> He's saying, won't you just live with me? Don't live for me, live with me. I'm inviting you into this amazing intimacy that I, I've known you since before the foundation of the world. I have a desire, I have a longing for you that you can't even understand the complexity of. And I've done all this, this whole revelation of Scripture and so much more to draw you in again so that you can abide with me, that we can be one together. I'm not here to serve your purposes. I'm not here to be your genie in a bottle. I'm not here for you to make plans and then to ask me to try and bless your plans. No. If anyone doesn't hate his life, he is not worthy to be my disciple. Your heavy, heavy words. The image I have as I speak to you guys is of two lovers that are enamored with one another. And there's, I think all of us somewhere, somehow, whether you're young or whether you're old, you've had that moment in your story where there has been someone that has caught your eye. Somewhere, somehow, there's someone that has caught your eye. Whether it's in your class, you, you know, you, you're looking at them like that and you're hoping that they'll just return your stare, you know. There's this, you're walking down the same street every day because once upon a time you saw this pretty girl that was waiting on the corner there for her Uber or whatever. So every day you hope, yes, hopefully one day I'll, I'll, I'll walk down the street and then we can just strike up this conversation. You know, there's this, everywhere, somewhere, somehow, we've all had an attraction for somebody. And hopefully vice versa. But the image that I have is of a more developed relationship. I see Gideon smiling at me. <laughs> uh, you're pointing at Emil, eh? Sure, something's happening, eh? Sorry, Emil, you busted. And it's going to be on Impact Radio as well, man. So. But somewhere, somehow, they, the, the Lord's giving me this image of a more developed relationship, a relationship that is where it's, it's, a, it's a commitment between two individuals, and even more so a covenant. And a covenant is more weighty than a commitment or a promise, or just like boyfriend, girlfriend. It is really a thing of, you can't be looking at anyone else, you know? And it's, and it's not this uh, rules and regulations kind of thing, but it's like, am I still your first love? Are you still enamored with me? as I am enamored with you? And are you still in love with me as I am in love with you? And this is a difficult thing. Some people that have been married for quite a few years, you know, eventually that feeling, you know, can wear off and, and things can change. But love is not a feeling. It is something that you are. It is something that you express. It is enveloped within this vow that you make when you get married. And there, I really just feel the Lord is putting his finger on that thing tonight and he's just saying, are you devoted to me? When you started your journey, you may never known of, of scriptures like Luke chapter 14, where you've got to count the cost before you start the quest, you know? <laughs> Often we get that afterwards, you know, like a couple of years later, you're like, yo, man, I should have counted the cost, you know, <laughs> this Jesus thing, yeah, yo, it's quite hectic, you know? If only the guy told me the day when the music was playing so nicely and, you know, the atmosphere was so perfect and I could just go up and cry and give my heart to the Lord, if only I knew that he was asking me for everything. He wasn't asking me for something or just a part of me or let's try and make this thing work, Lord. He was asking me for everything. And the scripture speaks about him being jealous, eh? jealous for his bride, jealous for his church, jealous for his people. And he knows that he's the best. He's not confused. God is not confused about who he is. He knows that he's the best. It's just us that confuse the thing. Starting with the end in mind, I was just pondering on this and I was like, well, Lord, that's great, but what is the end? What does the end look like? And if we're on this quest to get to this, this destination eventually or, or the state of being, or what, what, what is this end that we're talking about? And I just felt that there were four things that were highlighted um, as, as I was preparing. And I felt that Firstly, the Lord is looking to conform us to the image of His Son. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 
Paul is writing and he speaks, you know, that for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It's like that comes following right after the same scripture of Romans 8.28, where it's, you know, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Singular and his, not our purpose, but his purpose. Not his purpose for me, his purpose, singular. Not becoming an evangelist or a pastor or a doctor or a teacher, but his singular purpose for us, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Because if he's foreknown you, he wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. The interesting thing about being conformed to the image of the son is that, what does that mean? The beautiful thing is that Colossians 1 verse 15 says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Such a beautiful description. Hebrews 1 verse 3 speaks and, and says that he is the very essence of the Father's being. In that same portion of scripture that we, where the, the true vine comes from, in the preceding chapter, Jesus is sitting with his disciples and they say to him, Jesus, just show us the Father and it will be enough for us. And he says, hey, Philip, don't you realize that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you know? And, and they don't get it. But essentially, to be conformed to the image of the Son is to be conformed to the image of Christ, which is to be conformed to the image of God, which is the image that you were formed in. I often ask people this question, what is your ultimate purpose in life? And people tell me, it's to preach the gospel. It's to evangelize the nations. It's to fulfill the Great Commission or it's to be an effective church, and, and they go on and on. And it's all these executive things, these doing things that they harp on. But Matthew chapter 7 is also a very scary portion of Scripture. <laughs> it says that a lot of people will come, and they're going to be like, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name, prophesy in your name, and perform signs and wonders in your name? And his response is, sorry, um, <laughs> what's your name? I don't want that to happen to me. And that can so very easily happen if we are focused on doing and not being. And there's that invitation of saying, come and abide in me. Because you cannot do anything apart from me. You can bear no fruit apart from me. Our busy schedules, our crazy lives, the to-do list, the commitments of relationships and family and friends and all these things shouting for our attention can very easily as... Um, the, the parable of the sower in Matthew 13 says, just choke the word and make it unfruitful. That's what it says. It doesn't just choke it, but it chokes it, making it unfruitful. And so essentially I challenge people and I say, what is your ultimate purpose? If Jesus returns or if you die today, then your purpose is fulfilled. If your purpose is a doing thing. But if your purpose is about being, then what is that? And I really believe Romans 8.29 answers that for us and says that this entire life journey that you're on, this quest that you're on, every circumstance, every conversation, every challenge that comes your way, count it all joy, by the way. <laughs> There's another one. Everything that comes your way, God works that together for your good. Because you love him and you are called according to his purpose. For, qualifying what has just been said, those whom he has foreknown, he has also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If you're stuck on the foreknown piece, I believe God is in time and outside of time, all of the time, at the same time. <laughs> He's eternal. There is no limitations. He's not bound by anything. He doesn't eat. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't rest. It's just like, you know, he ceases from working there, but he, it says he doesn't slumber, he doesn't sleep. So he's known you, he knows the decisions you're going to make. He knows the life that you're going to live. He can't know the beginning and the end and not know what happens in the middle. You know what I'm saying? And I really believe that God's ultimate purpose for our lives is that in each and every day, every situation, everything you think, say, do, meditate on, all of that, he's working that together to restore his image inside of you. And my heart's prayer for you tonight is that you can grasp that ultimate purpose in your life. Because calling can very easily become this evasive thing. I'm looking for this, this calling. When, is, when am I going to be called? How's it going to look? Am I just going to drop everything and follow Jesus like the fisherman? Or 
you've actually already entered into your ultimate purpose. And you are living it out every day. Some, some years you may live it out as a teacher. Some years you may live out as a student. Some years you may live out as a doctor or as a pastor or as a t- whatever it may be. But the constant purpose being woven throughout is that the image of God is being restored inside of you. You were not birthed again for a second time in order to be thrown away. He birthed you again for a second time so that his image can be restored inside of you. That is the new creation. Why would he birth you again for a second time? Secondly, what is in the end? What is this end that we need to be mindful of in this quest? So firstly is this thing of, I'm setting my eyes on Jesus so that I can become like him, so that his image can be restored inside of me. In addition to that, there's this this beautiful imagery of being the bride of Christ. As we read the scriptures, there's this, and I'll I'll read some of Ephesians 5, as well, It's, it's also a loaded scripture, where there's this imagery of this bridegroom and his bride, and this wedding feast that is being prepared at the end of everything, when everything is said and done. And the people that make up the bride is is those who follow Jesus. It's the disciples of Jesus. It is those who do the will of the Father. Those are the ones that are going to be included in that, in, that, in that amazing wedding celebration. It's not some weird thing like, you know, it's, it's, it's not as literal as we would say, you know, this, that the, there's this whole bride and bridegroom thing. It's like God is using this imagery to explain his heart for us, his desire for us, his devotion to us, his faithfulness. And he is beckoning us to reflect that back to him. Thirdly, there is the army of God. It's not that we do much in the end. Eventually, you know, you read in Revelation, the white rider on the horse. And on his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And his robe is dipped in blood. And it's just like this epic scene in Revelation. And we pretty much stand next to him while he just annihilates his enemies. <laughs> you know, like we don't even do much, you know. We're just like there with him. We're like, yeah, Jesus, you know, finish it, you know. And, uh, but the army of God, that's what we are called to be. Armies don't function in easy conditions. Armies don't function where it's nice and cozy. They're in the deserts. They're in the swamps. They, they're there where there's Boko Haram and ISIL and all these, you know, they, they're fighting in the trenches, they're in the places where ordinary citizens don't want to be, but they are fighting for the freedom and for the, uh, for the protection of the ordinary citizen. You know, we've probably got special forces guys that are on, in places, yeah, protecting the interests of this country and these citizens and that, hopefully. <laughs> you know, that, you know, these are guys that are unseen, unheard of. These are guys that are infiltrating behind enemy lines. The army of God is one of the things that we are called to be. As the church, ultimately. And what is God calling you to as an executive thing in your life? Are you infiltrating your workplace? Are you infiltrating the, you know, the, the uh, university where you're at? The conversations that you're having, are people able to smell the fragrance of Christ from your life? Because his image is being restored inside of you. Are you trying to Bible bash them? You know what I'm saying? Oftentimes we we have a form of Christianity that we switch on and switch off. When we feel like it, we switch it on. And when we don't feel like it, we switch it off. And it's a very difficult thing to keep on doing. We can't sustain that way. We end up back in this thing of, of feeling defeated, of feeling uh, condemned, of feeling broken, of getting ourselves in trouble uh, into all kinds of difficult things because when I don't feel like it, I just don't do it. But that's if you focused on doing and not being. And so, essentially, God is also calling an army. He's calling us to rise up, to work with him on the earth, to co-labor with him in order to see heaven coming on earth. And fourthly, God wants us to be his family, eh? <laughs> in Revelation, in, I think it's in the one of the, in, if not the second, it's the, it's the last chapter where it says, and God, there's actually, there's not going to be any light in the, in the new Jerusalem, for God is going to be the light of the city. There's not going to be any night. There's not going to be any pain, tears, none of that stuff. The old order is going to pass away, and it says that 
God is going to dwell with his people and his people are going to dwell with him. And it's quite amazing when I, when I ponder on this. It's like when everything is said and done, when all the army vibe and the, and the bride of Christ stuff and the being conformed to the image and all these, when everything is said and done, it is all about us being his children and him being our father. It's quite profound. Like it's so hectic. Like some of us here are living more intensely than others and we, you know, we, we, you know there's so many different levels and degrees. We're all on different spaces with the Lord as individuals and even together as a part of his body. It's like, we, we're all in so many different spaces, but essentially, when everything is said and done, if you are a faithful follower of Jesus, if you have allowed him to form his image inside of you, and if you have in obedience fulfilled what he has asked you to do, you get to be part of everything that he has in store for those. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those who love him. No mind can conceive. It's absolutely phenomenal. And at the end of it all, it's just for us to be his children and for him to be our father. It's quite profound. We've got judge, we've got king, we've got creator, we've got redeemer, we've got Lord, we've got Messiah. We've got all these titles that we have for God, but Jesus says, our father in heaven. Like That's the focus. That's, I'm coming from the bosom of the father to come and show you who he is, is what John chapter 118 says. And it's just like he's come to show us who he is that he's a father, and when everything is done, that we are his family. With that, and speaking about this devotion, speaking about this two-way street with the Lord, we can never overemphasize this thing of, that we call grace. Grace is amazing because it is the only way by which we can be saved. There is no way that we can earn anything with God. But at the same time, he does require us to walk a life, live a life that is worthy of our calling. And he is calling us essentially to himself. Never get confused with being called because firstly, someone is calling you <laughs> and essentially he's calling you to himself. And this one who is calling us to himself is holy and he's perfect and he's blameless. And we cannot become holy, perfect or blameless without his help. And the thing that the, that the Lord laid on my heart and I'll read you from Ephesians chapter 5. And I just want to encourage you guys, just keep your hearts open. Because the life that you're living has to be about pleasing God. It cannot be about pleasing yourself. When it comes to the difficult things in life, the things that we really want to do but we know we shouldn't do, our default setting should not be to please ourselves. It should be to please God. And that is very difficult to do. I, I fail all the time with it but essentially the holy spirit always draws us back and he just says you know what my son my daughter this is not how i want you to live i'm convicting you on this thing so that i can pull you out of it and that i can show you a better way i'm not giving you a license to sin i'm not giving you a license to just mess up and say ah the lord will forgive me tomorrow but what i am saying is are you devoted to seeing my image restored inside of you because i will help you with that and are you willing to please me more than you are willing to please yourself? The, the two worlds cannot coexist. Jesus speaks, he speaks here in, in uh, Luke chapter 14, 27, and says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And I've often asked people, what, what is this thing of the cross? I don't see many of you wearing your crosses. I haven't seen anyone with a jewelry. Anyone got their cross, their earrings or their thing? Because the rest of you are really, oh, you've got your crosses, eh? That's it, that's it. She's the only Christian in the building, guys. Come on, she's the only disciple in the building. You, the rest of you are terrible disciples. Where's your cross? Hey, where's your cross? I often ask people that. Where's, your, where's the cross? You know, we, the cross is, a, is an instrument of torture. <laughs> It's nothing really to be celebrated or anything like that. You know? It's like, what is Jesus saying when he's saying, take up your cross and follow me? At this point, he hasn't even been crucified yet. But he knows that it's going to happen to him. And we've got this scene in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is on his knees. He's literally sweating blood because his blood vessels are bursting under the extreme stress that he's in. And it's coming through his, his sweat glands. He's, he's, he's sweating blood. 
he's anxious, he's stressing, he's fearing his life, and he's saying, Lord, Father, actually, if this cup can pass from me, please, <laughs> I'm begging you. I know this impending doom that is on my doorstep right here, right now, at this you know, ridiculous hour of the morning. Can you please let this cup pass from me? And there doesn't seem to be any response because I think the Father had already spoken. What was the cross for Jesus? I would like to suggest that the cross is God's will for Jesus. When I read the scripture, that's, that seems to be very clear, that God's will for Jesus was that he would embrace the cross, that for the joy set before him, that's what he would do. Now, how do I take up my cross? What is that? If I don't take, and if whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's crazy. So if you're not carrying your cross, if you're confused about what cross you're supposed to carry, it start, you start getting into tricky waters there. You, know? you need clarity on that. What is it? But if the cross for Jesus was the will of God, then surely that means that the cross, my cross, is also the will of God for me. The two wills cannot coexist. I need to be able to take up God's will for my life and follow him so that I can do what is pleasing for him and not what is pleasing for me. He, is not, he doesn't exist to serve my will. I exist to serve his will. It's very different. Our prayers start to change. Not, Lord, what is your plan for my life? But, Lord, how does my life form part of your plan? It's very different. So I feel that the Lord is putting his, his finger on this. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And this is the thing. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because, they are improper, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Ah, God will forgive you tomorrow. Ah, it's okay. You know, ah, he's gracious and kind. Like, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. This is New Testament, guys. <laughs> Therefore, do not be partakers with them. And as I was preparing this, I had these images of the, of the bride, of the family, of being conformed to the image of God's son, of looking like him again. And I really just felt the Lord putting his finger on this thing of sexual immorality. It is an extremely tricky thing because it's one of the most powerful things in our lives is our sexuality. When Adam and Eve eat of that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the first thing that comes under attack is their sexuality. Immediately they are aware of each other and they become ashamed. And immediately there's this shame and there's this hiding and there's this, the first thing that, it, that gets attacked is their sexuality. And we know that the world that we live in these days, man, it is exceptionally difficult to look anywhere without feeling like you have to look away. The news, the media, everything is polluted with sexual immorality, with hints, with sexual innuendos, with all these things that are just lying as bait to try and hook us and draw us in, to look like the world. And it's no wonder that it is a strategy that the enemy is using. Because if he can get us there, he can really keep us down. He can really crush us. We can really think that we are do, having some form of godliness, but we absolutely lack the power. And God is looking for, this is the thing, guys. Who of you want to see God? Three hands, one and a half. Wow. Okay, that's better. I really want to see him too. I really want to see him too. But Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 says that only the pure in heart see him. The scripture is clear that without holiness we cannot see him. 
guys, I'm sharing hard things with you tonight. I'm not coming and, and giving you a pat on the back and saying, go be a good little Christian this week. I'm sharing with you the word of God that I feel that he's laid on my heart tonight because I feel that God is getting serious with us. He is devoted to us. You can imagine having a wife or a husband that is not devoted to you anymore. That is exceptionally painful. They just lose interest in you. They start looking at other men or other women. Eventually, there's, you're not sure who they're messaging, who they're phoning. You're not sure why were you out so late the other night. How many of us are doing that with God? I'm deeply, I say this with fear and trembling. I'm deeply convicted in my own life too. I'm saying this with fear and trembling because, man, he is, he is so absolutely passionate about you. But he has certain things that he wants to do with your life. And if you have decided to follow Jesus, then it's on his terms, not on ours. And he is calling us to be a pure bride, a holy priesthood, as Ali was, was declaring there. A holy nation, a people that is set apart for him. People that minister to him, that don't just sit to be ministered to, but people that minister to him. Let there be no hint of sexual immorality among you. Young people, if you are staying with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, the solution is very simple. Move out. You may say it's financial issues and all of this and that, but if you choose to honor God, he will honor you. And if you're not willing to trust him for rent, using it as an excuse to stay with so-and-so and so-and-so, then where, where are you at with the Lord, you know? If you have a, a, a breakup and a makeup and a breakup relationship with pornography, that thing is absolutely devastating, guys. Pornography is one of the most, yeah, it's one of the most dangerous things that, have been in, that, have, that are on the face of the earth currently. That thing is so secretive. It's so deceptive. It sets you up. You never feel good when you engage with any of that stuff. Never. I've never met anybody that feels good when they engage with that stuff. It keeps you in condemnation. It keeps you in guilt. It keeps you feeling separated from God. Recently, I heard a guy called Bob Sorge speaking, and he says, he was reading through the book of Job, I think 30 or 31, and he comes across this portion where Job makes a covenant with his eyes. And he says, yes, Lord, this is my scripture, you know, this is the thing that I've been living by, you know, trying to stay pure and all of this kind of thing. And the Lord just challenged him and said, but you haven't done it. <laughs> you haven't made a covenant with your eyes not to look lustfully at a, at a woman, you know. And it's an amazing teaching. I encourage you to go and, and listen to it. I'm, I'm currently processing that myself, this thing of making a covenant with your eyes. He also suggests that as much as making, being compelled by wanting to see God and, and the accelerator pedal in your vehicle being this, this passion and this purity, this, this flaming, this holiness that hurts the eyes, you know, this thing that I'm pursuing, he says the brake pedal is the fear of the Lord. That when I start going to a place where I, I know I shouldn't be, I can always hit the brakes. And the fear of the Lord, he suggests, is it's fearing God. It's, being, it's knowing, shucks, he's there. And I've made a covenant with him. And I'm devoted to him. And if I do this thing, whatever it may be, I'm cheating on him. If you are struggling with your sexuality... Male to male, female to female. God loves you. He made you in his image. He is passionate about you. And he longs to be your first love. He longs to be your first love. He is calling you to himself. He's calling all of us to say, will you please me above pleasing yourselves? Will that be your highest priority in, your, in the life that I've given you to live? the breath that I've given you to breathe, will pleasing me be your highest priority above pleasing yourself?
in the book of Jude 24, the writer speaks and he says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before the, his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. And the doxology continues. It is God's intention that we can appear before him, that he can present us before himself with exceeding joy. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory. We were speaking, you, you guys were ministering that this, this evening. We all with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory. We all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Lord is devoted to seeing his image restored inside of us. And tonight, we need to have the end in mind on this quest that we are on. This is not just a theme that we're following as, you know, for a time being and then, you know, it's, it's going to be a different quest. This is a lifelong quest. And the difficulty with a lifelong thing means that our focus can very easily get distracted. It's easy if the, fo- if the quest is two weeks long. <laughs> you know, I go for two weeks, I've got the focus clear, I make it happen, and then in two weeks it's accomplished, mission done. But a lifelong quest really means I need to be really focused. I need to be devoted. I need to give to God what, what is God's. I need to give myself to him. And I don't speak this word as though I've attained as, as Paul writes as well. I speak it because it's the truth. I speak it because this is the standard that he's calling us to. This is what he expects of us. If you are my disciple, I expect these things of you. That you would, that in regards to every relationship in your life, no one would come before me. In regards to your will or my will, will you take up my will and follow me? As it pertains to starting and not finishing, he doesn't want that for us. He also doesn't want people ridiculing his body and saying, ha ha, you know, these Christians, look how they molest children, you know, all these, these people, and, you know, look at, look at um, how they, they go on about, you know, all these different things in society, whatever it may be. We know that the church has got a bad rep. Wherever you go and you say you sit on a plane or a bus, you know, you're not really sure, can I tell this person that I'm a Christian, you know? You know, and sometimes you find out, hey, they are a Christian, and then you can celebrate and just be like, Shh. but why is it like that? We're ready for someone to fight us at university. It's like, oh, you guys are stupid. You're believing in fables and little stories and stuff. Nice, man. Who's, who's this Jesus, your imaginary friend? Ha, ha, and everyone laughs. Ha, 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 ha. You know, very funny. But you ask them, where do you come from? And they say, you, you know, do you come from a monkey? Do you come from a primordial soup that got struck by lightning? Where did the lightning come from? Where did the soup come from? Where's the amoeba in the picture? Where did he come from? Um, you, know, you know, yeah, but you guys are just believing theories, just like we believe in theories. No one knows. No, we come from God. We all have a, the same origin. We don't come from anywhere else. God doesn't want his body to be ridiculed. <laughs> but it's the way we live that will depend on that response. So guys, tonight I share this with you to say, take a look at your life. Open your life up to the Holy Spirit. I don't believe he's saying it for no reason. And I'm not saying this in condemnation. I trust that you'll be convicted by the Holy Spirit because he always makes a way out. Whatever it may be where you are stuck, the Lord has a way out for you. Everything is not lost. If we can set our eyes on Jesus if we can put him first, and that can look like 10 minutes of your day before you eat breakfast, whatever it may be, it may mean moving out from staying with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It may just mean making, getting married and making things, just sealing the deal and saying, you know what, I'm not looking around anymore, I'm not testing this anymore, let's just get married, you know? The thing with sexuality is that it was confined to marriage. And even within marriage, there's, there's certain things that are fine and there's things that are not fine. <laughs> and if you are confused about what sexual, sexual immorality means, if you are not married, you can't actually engage with anything, anything sexual. 
It's not for you. It's out of bounds. It's off limits. Because if you play with that stuff, you make babies. <laughs> and when you make babies, you can't, there's no take backs. Trust me, I know. <laughs> and sometimes God gives you two. And yo, God's grace to anyone who's got three or four or more. Yo, at the same time, it's quite, quite something. But we cannot look at the scripture and say, oh, this is just old stuff for old people, or we have progressed. The truth is the truth, no matter what age or genre or generation we are in. And God is not confused about his ways. It's often us that mix it up and shake it up and we try and explain it away. But if you are single, unmarried, you can't actually engage in any sexuality. <laughs> You've got to be engaging with purity. And if you're married, obviously, you know, don't look at the guy's wife next to you or whatever. It's, there's, there's boundaries within that. And even the pornography thing, it is exceptionally deceptive because you think it's not real people or it's not really hurting anybody or this or that. But carry on with it for a few months or a few years and see what happens to your family. See what happens to you. It's, it is one of the biggest traps that are set in our generation, in our time. It is absolutely devastating people. It is resetting people's brains. You can, read, you can read the stuff about it. It is, it is devastating families. It is devastating marriages. It is devastating people from all walks of life, male and female. It is not acceptable. And the more you, in, you, you give into that demand, the more there will be. More people exploited, more people abused, more broken marriages, more destroyed families, more kids growing up in broken homes. Is it worth it? In the moment, it seems like it. But the next day, the very next second, actually, it's not worth it. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. And the encouragement today, guys, is be the salt, be the light. My wife and I were eating supper last night. She made an amazing meal. And we sit there, and she takes the first bite, and she... She says, no, I need to put salt on it, you know. So she's okay. So she crushes the salt on the meal. And the next bite she takes, she's like, mm, yes, I love salt, you know. And I just said to her, how interesting is it that salt makes the food taste like itself? <laughs> hey, so we, we took the first bite of food and realized, mm, we need salt. We put salt in, and now the food tastes like salt. And now, you know, now, we, now we, we're going for it. Eh? It's like, yo, give me seconds, give me thirds. How interesting is it that salt makes other things taste like itself? Let us be that kind of salt. Let us be the light that shines in the darkness. Let us be conformed to the image of the sun, the image of Jesus. Let us, be let us become the bride of Christ that can be presented before him in the beauty of, of his splendor, that can be presented with, before him with faultless glory. Let us be the army of God that co-labors with him to bring about his will on the earth. And ultimately, don't forget that you are not a servant first, you are a son or a daughter first. And when everything is said and done, it is all about him knowing your name and you being his child. I leave this with you guys to think about, to ponder on, to take into the week, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would follow it up with you. But take it to heart. Um, if you feel challenged by this, I would like to just pray a, a blanket prayer. I'm not going to ask anybody to stand or anything like that. But if you really feel that the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on something in your life, it is because he loves you. And it's because he knows that you are better than that. And he knows what he's calling you to. And so you can just pray after me. Father, I thank you for who you are. Because you don't change. And you are the everlasting God. You are the gracious and compassionate God, abounding in love. And I thank you that you love me. Father, I'm, this sexual immorality thing, you're touching on my heart. You know what I've been up to. You know the situations that I'm in. Tonight I'm hearing the truth. And I'm not going to panel beat the truth anymore to match my life. But I'm going to panel beat my life to match up with the truth. 
I've placed myself at your mercy. I want to be conformed to the image of Jesus. I want to do what is pleasing to you. I want to be your perfect, devoted, faithful bride without spot or blemish. I confess my sexual immorality to you, Father, tonight. I choose right now, I choose to turn away from it. As I turn away from it, I ask for your forgiveness. And I embrace your forgiveness. Guys, God forgives you because of what Jesus did on the cross, not because you feel good or bad about it. And so whether you, if you still feel bad, you can embrace his forgiveness because Jesus accomplished forgiveness for you on the cross. Amen? So Father, I embrace your forgiveness now because of what Jesus did for me. Please will you come and purify me and cleanse me. And please will you give me the grace that I need to walk this journey of purity. I want to see you face to face. I want to know you. I want to be in your presence. Please will you purify my life. But I, the ball is in my court too. And I commit to you tonight to follow through on whatever it is that you tell me to do. Whatever instruction you tell me to do, I take it as your will. And I will take it up and I will follow you. And I will do what you have asked me to do. I pray this in your name, Jesus, and I thank you for setting me free and for cleansing me. Amen. Amen. Guys, I know this is a bit of a heavy thing. I don't know why. Maybe that's why, like I say, you get me in small doses. But I just want to pray for us, and then we'll call it an evening. Father, we thank you for who you are. And I just I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And I just pray that you would form us into your image through tonight's message, Lord. I pray that you would help us to, to please you more than pleasing ourselves. Father, these people here, you have drawn them to yourself. You are devoted to seeing your image restored inside of them. You want them to be part of that wedding feast that takes place on that day. You've set a time in eternity for us to be there. Help us not to mess it up, Lord. I pray, Father God, that your church would be spotless and blameless. Lord, that we would be real, that we will infiltrate society, that we will bring about your kingdom on earth. I pray that you would help us to please you with our lives, that our bodies will be offered to you as worship, as living sacrifices, pleasing, that when we engage with people, Lord, that they would smell the aroma of Christ coming from us. Father, I bless your church in the name of Jesus. I bless this part of your body in the name of Jesus. I pray that as they go, that they would travel safely. I pray, Lord, that you would, um, that you would just take them deeper. And Holy Spirit, that you would expound on what you have shared tonight. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Guys, thank you so much. Walk with Jesus. Take up the cross and follow him. Amen.